What's up, guys, and welcome back to another episode of Not Gonna Lie. I'm your host, Jonathan Terry, and we have a loaded show for you today. There's so much going on in the sports world. I love it. Just so much to talk about. Uh, we're going to go over some coaching hires. We're going to talk some NBA news. We're going to go. We're gonna recap the divisional round games, preview the championship games. We're going to talk to Joey in a bit about the just about Boston sports in general, I guess, the future of Tom Brady, uh, what he thinks the Red Sox should do with Alex Cora. Obviously, that whole situation has unfolded with the Texans and the, and the sign-stealing scandal. Um, and, and we're going to recap the national championship game. I'm currently recording this 55 minutes before the national championship game, and I figure it's more relevant to uh, wait to record the second half. So we'll be split into two parts. So I'm going to recap these NFL games, talk some NBA news, coaching hires, and then uh, we'll take a break. Uh, and for me, it'll be a lot longer break, about four hours. And then we're going to hop back on the podcast and recap those games as well as talk to Joey a little bit about some some uh, Boston news and as well as the national championship. So first things first, um, head coaching hires. A lot. Every team now has a head coach officially uh the browns announced that they'd hired uh stefanski the offensive coordinator for the minnesota vikings uh no word on the gm yet we're not sure um there are rumors i think it was the vice president of the eagles i think it was is is the the lead candidate for the job but not sure let's go through though um just top to bottom here talk about what i like what i don't like with some of these head coaches and uh because not all of them are good obviously like Nothing gives a franchise more hope than hiring a new coach, but I mean, and you won't really know for sure until they get on the field, but you kind of have a hunch about what's going to happen. Uh, but with that being said, let's just go with the first one, Ron Rivera to the Redskins. Uh, personally, I really like that move. I think it's great for them. Um, a lot of young talent on the Redskins. People forget that they're, I mean, they're probably one or two years away with the right coach and some good drafts. Uh, away from being in the playoffs, which is fantastic for them. Um, Ron Rivera is a no-nonsense guy. He, he brought in Jack Del Rio as his defensive coordinator, which is great. And I mean, all the former head coaches that were once coordinators normally have done a really fantastic job uh, in whatever in whatever job they take with, with another team. The one thing that concerns me with this is the Redskins announced that they're not going to be, um, it's basically going to be a front office overhaul but nothing is for sure until after the draft, which gives me some reason for concern, um, especially if I'm a Redskins fan, because that that kind of means that it's really Ron Rivera's team. And we know he's a talented coach, a great motivator, but how good is he at evaluating talent? And basically, it seems like if you get on Rivera's good side, you're going to stay with the organization. And if he basically doesn't like you, then you're gone. Uh, which, I mean, there's some room for concern there a little bit because you want to be able to get everybody's input in the draft and if and, and you don't really know who's going to pan out right away. Like, we, we can't really say what's a good pick and what's a bad pick. Uh, I mean, you can estimate, but not until, you know, three, four, five years. So if Rivera, if Rivera doesn't agree with what you have to say, does that mean you're gone? I, I, I don't know. I don't like that. I would have liked, um, I mean, if he has some say in the GM, fine, that's perfect. I mean, the coat, that's 100% okay. Um, but basically giving him full charge over this draft, this is kind of vital for them. I mean, what they, what they do this year 
um, in supporting Dwayne Haskins, maybe you know throwing some free agency money at another guy to to play backup quarterback or whatever that is, and getting more weapons, getting a better offensive line, strengthening the defense, getting more playmakers. Uh, I mean, this is a key year for them. And if Ron Rivera wants to start off on the right foot, he needs to make sure he has a good draft. Uh, I don't. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but initially, the, I, there's room for concern if I'm a Redskins fan and if I'm in if I'm employed in the Redskins organization. Uh, the next hire, Matt Rule, Carolina Panthers. Uh, I'm a little hesitant on this one. It normally it feels like one of those things where uh, it's it's like a really good pick. Like I guess the best way to put it is like it's like a sleeper. But if everybody knows about the sleeper, is it really a sleeper? And I feel like everybody's so big, so high on Matt Rule that maybe he, you know, maybe it gets too overhyped. Because you think at some point when some people think it's a good hire, like if, oh, if they know, then maybe it's not, you know, because he's no longer the best kept secret because everybody, everybody and their brother was saying, oh, hire Matt Rule, hire Matt Rule. A little bit concerned. I know he turned around Baylor, but how many big games did he really win? He lost to Oklahoma twice. He lost a couple nail biters to some 500 teams and really couldn't get a lot going against Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. But all of that's going to predicate on his belief in who's going to be a starting quarterback. Is it Kyle Allen? Is Cam Newton going to be healthy? I tweeted this out. Matt Rule, if he's not getting some sort of security, whether he believes in Kyle Allen uh, or he has gotten some positive sign that Cam Newton's coming back from injury, it's really dumb of him to make this move. I mean, it's a talented program, but I, I mean, you sign him for six, seven years, you're not going to last three if you don't have a starting quarterback set in place, uh, unless you're getting, you know, you, you've got a solid all the way around well-built team, which they really don't. I mean, we've seen the wheels fall off on this team two years in a row, and that's what led to getting Ron Rivera fired. At first, it was Cam Newton um, was injured the year before, and then uh, after that, they just fell downhill. And then this year, Kyle Allen got hot for a bit, and then they just kind of, it all fell apart there. So unless there's a solid um, structure or whatever set up there, um, Matt Rule could be set up to fail in in Carolina at this point. That's my initial thoughts. I mean, obviously, yes, he could turn out to be as good as advertised. But when's the last time a guy that we, I mean, I guess he was talked about last year, but a guy coming right out of college um, has achieved success for just a couple of years uh, and everybody's talking about him. I think that's the number one thing. When when is the last time a guy who everybody's talked about has turned out to be successful, like has lived up to the hype? Um, so not saying he's a bad coach. I'm just hesitant because everybody thinks he's a good coach, um, but no quarterback, and you're going to be in a lot of trouble if you're the Carolina Panthers and Matt Rule. But the benefit for him, it's seven years, $60 million. So if they fire him three years in, he can take a break from coaching, uh, come back, and, and he'll be he'll be ready to go. The next one, and the most surprising one on the list, is Joe Judge to the Giants. Um, rumors were that Mississippi State gave Joe Judge a 12 a.m. deadline to accept or decline the job, so the Giants felt like they needed to move fast to get their guy. Um, there was a rumor out there that... Uh, well, the Giants were the ones rumored to be in in the front running for Matt Rule, and then right after 
Matt Rule was announced to the Panthers, they said, oh, we are going to hire Joe Judge, and, uh, and that was our guy all along. It seems like a bit of, of saving face from the Giants, uh, but, you know, maybe Dave Gettleman and the, those computer folk uh, realized that this was a good play. Uh, I, I'm just not sure. I think it's just tough that a special teams coordinator um, gets a head coaching job right away. I mean, he, he took over the wide receiver for the Patriots last year, coming from the Patriots. Um, they weren't anything special. The special teams was changing games, but I can't think of any other special teams guy that's been successful as a head coach besides John Harbaugh. And it feels like that's the only thing that they have in common, really. I mean, Joe Judge is largely untested as a coach, not saying, again, not saying it's a bad hire because we won't know for, you know, at least two years. But the thing that people are saying is, oh, Jim, uh, John Harbaugh was a special teams coach. But there are a lot of special teams coaches in the NFL that don't get anywhere close to a head coaching job. And I, I think there's a reason for that. Uh, there are a number of other candidates that were a lot more qualified um, and still that were more qualified that haven't gotten or that weren't hired this this season. Robert Sala, a guy who I've been big on since probably week seven, eight, nine in the NFL, uh, uh, defensive coordinator for the 49ers. He's done really good. He's done a really good job of motivating his players, getting them ready to go. They won two out of three games uh, in a stretch, th- in, in a row, where they played the Packers, Saints, and Ravens. That's one of the toughest schedules in the NFL, three weeks in a row, and you win two out of three, including holding the Ravens to 20 points during a stretch where they were averaging like 45. Uh, Eric Bieniemy, Kansas City Chiefs offensive coordinator, has taken over the job. Uh, has done a really fantastic job getting the offense going. I mean, they exploded. We're going to cover that game in a bit, but they exploded against the Texans in the second quarter, uh, scoring four touchdowns, and that wasn't even the first time they'd done it this season. Uh, another guy, Greg Roman for the for the Baltimore Ravens, He's done a great job of, of building an offense around Lamar Jackson and scoring a lot of points this year, leading the league in rushing. Or Josh McDaniels. I mean, there's those four guys just off the top of my own head that would have been uh, more qualified candidates. I'm not going to say better, but more qualified candidates. And for the Giants, you've got a young running back. You've got a young quarterback. You've got a lot of young weapons everywhere on the field. You need a guy with experience. What What is Joe Judge bringing to the table that is really going to make guys buy in. Now, granted, there was a report coming out there that that um, Joe Judge ran the ran the locker room when Belichick wasn't there. I mean, if that's the case, may, sure. I'm not saying it's a bad hire. I'm just saying a guy. Look, Joe Judge is a guy that worked under Saban, worked under uh, Bill Belichick. But the fact that it's the same thing as like the Cardinals hiring Cliff Kingsbury. Is it a bad hire yet? We're still not sure. But the fact that he had just got offered an offensive coordinator job at college, and then you're you're taking him from there. He just gotten fired the year before, and you're you're poaching him from was it USC? USC's offensive coordinator job to be your head coach. I mean, there's got to be a lot more qualifications there, and he's uh, Joe Judge isn't connected to any any coaching tree. I mean, loosely to Bill Belichick, but he spent four years there. And who's all really been successful out of that Belichick coaching tree? People like to say Vrabel, but Vrabel just played for him. Completely different. Patricia struggled. Brian Flores is looking good, but 
that's nowhere near compared to like Andy Reid's coaching tree, which Bienemy falls under. And Sean McVay's coaching tree has gotten a lot of hype too. That may have that may be fading away in the coming years, but very unqualified. Felt like a rush move for the Giants. Um, just on yeah, that that's it. I don't I don't know enough. I mean that should say enough. You don't know really what Joe Judge brings to the table in regard to special teams because he has you know there's just not enough experience, not enough there. Um, but who knows? He could flourish in the role. But moving on, Mike McCarthy for the Dallas Cowboys. I like this one. I think it's good. Uh, Mike McCarthy did walk back. Just how much he watched. Uh, he said he watched every Cowboys game this year. Then in the press conference, he said, ah, I actually didn't watch all of them. And then he was talking out up his big uh, analytics team. And then he kind of walked it back a little bit. So I don't really know what we're going to be getting from Mike McCarthy um, other than a, a super team in regards to... Um, the coordinators. I mean, Mike McCarthy's got extends uh, extensions everywhere in the league. He knows somebody who knows somebody, and that's what you get coaching for a really successful franchise in the Green Bay Packers for the amount of years that he did. Uh, I I like it for the Cowboys. I think honestly, now it comes down to you've got the coaching staff, um, you've got great coordinators. Will you go out and win games? Um, and and that's where the talent question comes into it. I'm not. I mean. I'm not going to say the Cowboys aren't talented, but coaching staff, regardless, there were games they didn't show up, um, and that had nothing to do with game planning. It just felt like they didn't want to be there. And you you, you can't rely on Dak to throw you out of these situations. I, I was looking at a stat the last two years. Dak Prescott is 3-8 and eight when he throws the ball 40 or more times, um, and that should be reason enough to show that he's not a guy who can can carry, I mean, no no team has a really good record throwing the ball 40 times. The the good ones are at about 500 in regard to winning percentage, but you've got Zeke, you've got, hopefully you can get Amari Cooper back this year, Dak Prescott, build on that. They've McCarthy is potentially bringing Kellmore back, which is fantastic for them. Uh, they He's a great offensive coordinator, and hopefully he'll be given room to grow uh, there, but Let's see. I'm trying to think. I know Stefanski with the Browns, but am I missing another? I think that's it. Hopefully that was it. But Stefanski uh, with the Browns, still no word on GM yet as as of recording this podcast. Could change at any point. I don't mind the Stefanski hire. I think a lot of people are hating on it just because of recency bias. Uh, I think Robert Saylor would have been a better choice. And people are saying that it was a bad choice because Sela's defense outplayed Minnesota's offense. Well, you got to look at pieces. I mean, the 49ers were in the midst of one of the best defensive seasons ever out of any team. The Vikings are missing, uh, you know, one or two, like, top-level offensive linemen to get them over the top. Uh, Kirk Cousins is an above-average quarterback, but you really would like to get the ground game going. They never did. I think... Dalvin Cook had under 20 yards, um, and they they had to rely on Kirk Cousins a little too much. We'll get into that game in a bit. But Stefanski is is smart, and they've got a lot of weapons there. But they're adopting somewhat of a similar. Um, he's adopting somewhat of a similar offense here with the Browns. Nick Chubb, a fantastic back. They've got great weapons at receiver, uh, a quarterback right now who, in my mind, is still above average. He's he's in the same level as Kirk Cousins, Ryan Tannehill, Jimmy Garoppolo. At this point in his career, I'm not saying he won't improve off of that, but 
so it's the same idea. They really need to target offensive linemen in the draft. Um, you know, getting the right coordinators in, getting guys that um, can get teams, get this team to buy in is vital. Uh, but all in all, not a bad hire. Um, I guess if they get the Eagles VP, I forget his name, but he's the front runner. So I would assume that he is, uh, he's, he's the guy there. Another defensive coordinator that is, um, let go the, uh, the Rams, Wade Phillips. I'm interested to see where he goes. He's going to help a lot. Um, and, and renewing someone's defense out there. I was like, I'm looking here at Wade Phillips, overall defense, uh, from pro football focus rankings. He had one year that he was not top 15. He had, let's see, one, two, three, four, five top four finishes over the last 15 years. That's pretty good. Like I said, former head coach normally does really well in that scenario. Um, But that's it for those coaching hires. Let's get into these games here. First one is the 49ers and the Vikings. 49ers won 27 to 10. Defense was fantastic. As usual, we talked about a little bit. Offense really couldn't get anything going. Um, And luckily for the 49ers, Jimmy Garoppolo didn't have the best game. But Kyle Shanahan recognized, hey, this is my quarterback's first playoff game. I need to put him at ease. Tevin Coleman had a big game, rushed for over 100 yards. Uh, But Jimmy Garoppolo, 131 yards, 11 or 19, a touchdown and a pick. Kirk Cousins, 21 of 29, 172 yards, also a touchdown and a pick. Uh, But the 49ers... It's the same, the same story. It feels like every week uh, they run the ball a lot. They had 186 yards on the ground, averaged four a carry. Um, like I said, only 131 passing yards. But then defensively, Nick Bosa had two sacks, two tackles for loss. They had six sacks as a team, nine tackles for loss, uh, four passes defense, nine QB hits, and an interception that's that's the re- that's a good recipe. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo can go off in games. Um, and, you know, obviously there's got to be nerves playing in your first playoff game. So 100% understand that. For the Vikings, I'm assuming Mike Zimmer's job is safe because he did win that game against the Saints. Um, but, you know, they really could, they could fire him anyways. Uh, but Kirk Cousins, not his fault. Uh, they really need to do a better job of getting that offensive line built up. Um, the run game was not there. They only ran the ball 10 times and they weren't, I mean, they lost by 17, but they were, they were down 14 to 10 at halftime. So it's not, it's not impossible for them to, uh, you know, they could have run the ball a little more. It, It just, it feels like to me that if it was a blowout from the beginning, then maybe that's a different story, but defensively 49ers did a great job and they'll get to host one more playoff game, the NFC championship game. Uh, but we'll move on to that. Not a lot really to talk about there. It just seems like it's the Vikings had, a, you know, a whisper of a miracle run and the 49ers snuffed it out basically from the beginning. Um, but next game on the list, the one that most people, uh, so no, it's probably, I mean, still, I think it's probably the one that most people are talking about at this point, just because of who was in it. Um, the Tennessee Titans continue their miracle run, defeating the Ravens 28 to 12. Lamar Jackson threw the ball 59 times. He's now 0-2 in his career when he throws the ball 40-plus. He ran for 143 yards on the ground for 20 carries. He had a touchdown and a pick. He also fumbled the ball once. Tannehill threw 14 passes for 88 yards, and Derrick Henry ran for 195 yards and also threw a touchdown. Um, 
Great job by the Titans. I mentioned last week on the podcast, it was entirely possible that the Ravens go out there and win this game, and they did, or the Titans go out there and win this game, and they did. Um, Didn't make a mistake, didn't turn the ball over. Ryan Tannehill was sacked once. Um, He also rushed for a touchdown and threw for two. Uh, Derrick Henry threw for the other. But on the other hand, the Ravens, like I said, the Saints didn't had eight turnovers all season, and then somehow this game was the game where, where they just gave it all up. Lamar Jackson accounted for all three turnovers, and Twitter was very split during this entire game and even after this game and saying, oh, wow, now all these Lamar Jackson haters are going to have, we're going to have to listen to him for all nine months. Or, um, you know, all oh, these, uh, or, or people were hating on Lamar Jackson for, for what he did in, in this game. And I was thinking about the best way to really put it into um, context because Hayden and I have talked a lot about Lamar Jackson on this podcast and our concerns for his ability to throw the ball. I mean, it was on display here. I also saw a tweet. He's one of four or one of five in bowl games plus playoff games in his career. He has 10 touchdowns and 10 turnovers. Um, this is basically the best analogy I can come up with. People bringing up concerns about Lamar's ability to throw the ball isn't hating. It's not considered hating on Lamar Jackson, um, especially if those concerns are valid. It's kind of like on a Ferrari, like if the check engine light's on, you know, and and one person points out, hey, are you gonna gonna go get that checked out? And everybody's saying, oh, what are you talking about? It sounds like it runs just fine. Like it's a Ferrari. Come on. But you have to understand. That concern, if it's not addressed sooner or later, is really going to be a problem for the Ravens. If people, if teams figure out how to stop Lamar Jackson and they figure out um, ways to force him to throw the ball more, if he doesn't take into account and really work on throwing and and you know feeling comfortable throwing the ball 35, 40 times in a game if he has to, he's going to get hurt. He's going to lose these big games like we've been talking about, uh, or or something else. The Ravens, in every game that they they trailed at halftime, I think it was three or four I was looking at it today, they trailed in three or four games, including this one at halftime. They didn't win a single one. So everyone's concerns, everybody that, you know, Bill Polian or, or whoever it is, their concerns of saying, wait a minute, this guy still hasn't proven he can throw the ball. Yeah, he can beat up on bad teams and they can throw when they're up. But what about when throwing becomes a necessity? Now, granted, it's not 100% his fault. I think the Ravens uh, went away from the run a little bit too quickly. They were running like shotgun sets with nobody in the backfield. Uh, and Lamar Jackson's strength is his read option. I would have liked them to see, I would like to have seen them go that route a little bit more um, and and try it, even though they're down. Um, but the I, I figured it was just going to be a matter of time before, you know, the Titans turned the ball over once and they got good field position and then, and then the, the Ravens would score and and change the game. But credit to the Titans. Mike Vrabel, great team around there. Uh, Derrick Henry's averaging like 185 yards per game so far in this playoffs. Absolutely crazy. And he doesn't look tired whatsoever. Uh, they just ran the ball down the Ravens' throats. They couldn't stop. They couldn't stop him. And then they really attacked when they had to in the air. I mean... Ryan Tannehill threw the ball for 88 yards, and half of those came on one play, a little play-action deep shot to Khalif Raymond, a guy who I hadn't heard of before before this game. But, I mean, you got to admit, there those concerns are there for, for Lamar Jackson. Can he win a game? Can he bring his team back in a game where he needs to be relied on to throw the ball? 
uh, those fourth and one calls were questionable. I thought running a, a play from the shotgun on fourth and one. I mean, it's just pushing pushing yourself three yards back unnecessarily um, to try and get one. Same with that the other one that they got stuffed on, running all the way to the right side. He basically covered five yards of ground to to get one, which he didn't do both of those times, uh, and those really stifled stifled drives in, in that area of the field. But credit to the Titans. They're moving on into the AFC Championship game, and they'll be playing the, uh, not Houston Texans, the Kansas City Chiefs, which is the next game on our list here. The Texans went out to an early 24 to nothing lead, um, and the Chiefs just came back immediately. It, w- it wasn't close. Like By the end of the second quarter, everyone knew that this game was over. Patrick Mahomes threw four touchdowns on 12 passes in that second quarter, and a lot of it was due to, um, you know, they, they stopped them on a, a fake punt. They recovered a fumble on the kickoff, and credit to them, but Bill O'Brien, I, I'm not ready to say it was all Bill O'Brien's fault. I think he should have gone for it when they were up 21-0 instead of settling for a field goal, um, and then his fake punt wasn't a bad idea, but it also felt like away from making up for not going forward on fourth down. And so that kind of backfired on him. And defensively, defensively, it's a problem. It's been a problem all year, and they just got burned. Um, and then offensive line. So it's the two things that they've struggled with going into the year. They spent all those picks. They got all those guys, and it didn't end up helping them anyways. Uh, still the same problems. And now they're without a first or second round pick in this year's draft. Um, so, you know, there's a chance they regress. Would have loved to keep Jadavion Clowney at that point. Who knows what he would have been capable of in that area. But obviously Chiefs came all the way back. They ended up covering. And this one, the Chiefs almost hit the over themselves. The over was 52 and they had 51. They had made a field goal. It would have pushed. The over would have pushed on their points alone. Um, yeah, for the Texans, hot start but cold finish. And for the Chiefs, I mean, you got to admit, their defense looks good. I tweeted out. When the when the when the Texans kicked that field goal to go up twenty four to zero, that the game wasn't over, that the Chiefs could come back because essentially all the Texans score. So here here's the breakdown of their scores. It was a broken down. They, they got beat on one play that allowed Kenny Stills to get a fifty four yard touchdown. On the next one, it was a third down drop from the Chiefs that led to a blocked punt by the Texans that was a touchdown. Then the next one after that, it was a muffed punt by Tyree Kill that set him up at the four-yard line. Uh, that That's an easy touchdown right there. And then and then they drove down the field. That was the one. The only one um, where they just drove down the field and got that field goal uh, was the only time that that Chiefs defense was beaten, essentially. I mean, obviously, besides one broken play, but that led to seven. So they're really responsible for 17 of these points, 17 out of the 31, and... I mean, you can see just how quickly it got out to 24-0. But they're not all to blame, and I do think the Chiefs' defense is really good. Um, Chris Jones did not play in this game. I thought he'd be more of a non-factor, but it turns out that they were able to overcome his loss and still play a really good game, get to the quarterback well. Frank Clark had three sacks, uh, played a really good game. But Chris Jones coming back for this Chiefs game is necessary. 100% 100% necessary because they're going to be in trouble without him. They need a guy who can run stuff against one of the most physical, tough, 
toughest guys to tackle in the league in Derrick Henry. Um, and without him, if Chris Jones does not play, that's I'll, I'll give you a sneak peek to our preview. If Chris Jones does not play, the Titans are going to the Super Bowl. But if he plays, I really like the Chiefs. I think it's going to be a close game. But Chris Jones up the middle is by far their best player on defense. And that's a defense that has Frank Clark, Tyron Matthew, and countless other guys. But Chris Jones is their best player. And if he can get up in the middle and, and stuff those lanes... It's going to be a long day for for Derrick Henry, and that could lead to Ryan Tannehill throwing the ball a lot more than 15 times like he has in the past. Uh, The final game, Seahawks-Packers. Packers Packers won 28-23. Seahawks did not look good in this game whatsoever. I think 100% Packers deserve to win. Uh, Russell Wilson got it going too late. I mean, I think in the first first half, he finished with, what, 93 passing yards. Uh, Would have liked to see more. I mean, obviously, you can blame it on lack of running game, but Russell Wilson should be able to to put points up. I mean, obviously, he had a great second half, 97 yards in the first, and then he finished with 277. He also had 64 yards on the ground, but it just seemed like not only offensively, but defensively, the Seahawks just could not get a stop uh, in, in, those, in those biggest moments. They got one on fourth down or one one in the fourth quarter that got them the ball back. Uh, but then they decided to punt on a fourth and 10, which didn't make a lot of sense to me. I mean, they're on their own 40 yard line uh, and it, you know, fourth and 10, let's say fine. You don't, you don't get it. Whatever. The Packers take over the ball on the 40 yard line, just outside of field goal range with three and a half minutes to go. You have all three timeouts. Worst case scenario is uh, they kick a field goal to, to make an eight-point game, but then you at least get the ball back. I mean, there were two first downs away from ending the game anyways. So why not put the game in the hands of your quarterback and try and make a play and get those 10 yards as opposed to kicking it and basically playing the, the field position game, which just doesn't... I, I can't fathom an idea or a world where Pete Carroll believes that that makes sense. I mean, you've got you've got a couple playmakers on defense, but you have one of the best top three, if not top two quarterbacks in the NFL, but you're going to punt it just so you can get better field position when you get the ball back. Uh, it doesn't make sense at all to me. I thought Russell Wilson was heating up. Uh, he it just felt prim- it felt like one of those like Seahawks Seahawks games, you know, where they drive down the field, um, score a touchdown. I even tweeted before the game that the Seahawks would move on off of a Mason Crosby missed field goal. And it just felt like it had the recipe for one of those. Russell Wilson makes an improbable comeback. Uh, They score with like a minute left. The Packers drive down the field. Aaron Rodgers gets him to like a 48-yard field goal range, and Mason Crosby just misses it. Uh, and, this, and then the Seahawks move on. I mean, they they probably had four games like that this season that they've they've eventually won. But also two things uh, on that last on that that Jimmy Graham play that people were saying uh, the NFL screwed up on and that it should have been fourth down, not first down. First thing one, the yellow line was not the official line. It was about a half yard back. Um, which would have made it really, really, really close, especially from as far as we could tell. I don't know. You know, you can't. I mean, if the yellow line was 100% accurate, then yeah, makes perfect sense. Um, it should have been fourth down. But since it was that half yard back, it's 100% a, a first down game over. 
That's number one. Number two, didn't that exact same idea happen in the first quarter of this game where it was a clear Seahawks fumble that they said he was down at first and then there wasn't enough video evidence to overturn the call of a clear recovery by Green Bay after they had ruled it was a fumble? I mean, it seems pretty similar to me. Now, for, for I don't know, for all the people that are saying, oh, like, I can't believe they they wouldn't overturn that call and it should have been fourth down. It's the same, it's the same scenario. 100% just happened at different times and happened to different teams. I don't know. At the end of the day, the Packers were the better team. They played better on all facets. Um, and they may be tricking people into believing that they're going to win this game and go to the Super Bowl, but they are not. Uh, I hold by what I said. They're the one of the worst 13-3 and teams we've seen just from recent play. And one game against the Seahawks isn't going to change that fact. Um, but yeah, I'm all in on 49ers Super Bowl now at this point. And who they play will be determined on whether or not Chris Jones is available um, for that game against the Titans. But as far as a preview goes, let's take a look at the Chiefs-Titans uh, Chiefs game coming up. Uh, will be an arrowhead, so the Titans are going to have to go on the road for all three games, as they would as the sixth seed. The Chiefs open up as seven and a half point favorites, and the over is over under is fifty two. That's tough. That is really a, a difficult one for me, mm, because I could see it going. I could see it going one of two ways. I I could see the Titans doing a really good job of controlling the clock not making a lot of turnovers, um, staying staying with it, and winning like a close three-point game. But also knowing how poorly the Chiefs came out of the gate in the divisional round, I know 100% they're going to be ready to go for this one. And I think talent-wise, Kansas City has the clear advantage. The defense has proven a lot. Uh, over the last five weeks of the season, I've become pretty enamored with them and what they're able to do uh, getting to the quarterback. I mean, they were doing a great job of getting after Deshaun Watson in just a four-man blitz. And that could be, you know, obviously because the Texans have a terrible offensive line, but also credit to them without their best uh, interior defenseman still getting after him with just four guys. Frank Clark did not. There was one sack where he fell to the ground and Deshaun Watson was kind of scrambling around and Frank Clark uh, you know, got back up off the ground and then sacked him. He covered like 35 yards on that play. Something it's absolutely insane uh, what he was able to do there. Talent-wise, I think Kansas City has the angle. There is the Andy Reid coaching effect that if this does come into a close game, what if he screws it up somehow? I don't know. Um, but but then there's also the other angle where it's just not even close. And from the jump, Kansas City busts out of 21-point lead and the Titans are forced to throw the ball. I mean, I would love to see for this miracle miracle ride to continue for the for the Chiefs or for the Titans, but I just think if if Tannehill has to throw the ball, if they're down by two scores, it's going to be tough to come back from, especially like when we get into the third quarter of the game. Because yeah, you can run the ball with Derrick Henry, and yeah, they can get the ball, they can get down the field in a hurry, but. Can they stop Kansas City? I mean, 
Kansas City's proven that, I mean, the, their biggest concern was running backs, but they have so many like sub 4-4 wide receivers that they can run jet sweeps with, a running back becomes almost obsolete. Not to say Damian Williams didn't have a great game because he played fantastic. I think he had three touch, he had two receiving touchdowns and one or two rushing touchdowns and one receiving. Let's see. Yeah, Damian Williams had 47 yards on the ground, two touchdowns, and he caught two for 21 in the air and another touchdown. Uh, man, seven and a half is just a lot of points, and I I don't know. If okay, here we go. This is this is how we're doing it. If Chris Jones plays, I think Kansas City will cover, will win and cover. Um, and if Chris Jones does not play, I think the Titans will at least cover. I think no, just be you know what? We're gonna we're gonna put it all on the shoulders of Chris Jones. If Chris Jones does not play, the Titans are going to cover and win. If Chris Jones does wait, did I say that right? Yeah, you guys get the idea. You know, basically if if Chris Jones plays, Chiefs win. Uh, Packers 49ers, that line is 7.5. I'm extremely tempted. Oh, actually, hang on. Before we move on, that over, I can't. Man, see, that's where it gets tempting because that Chiefs defense, they could stop them and put up a lot of points. But I don't want them to hit the over single-handedly. Um, oh, let me let me think on it a little bit. I'll put it in the back of my brain, uh, and then I'll, I'll get into it at the end of these uh, previews here. 49ers Packers. 49ers open as 7.5-point favorites. 100% tempted to just go with that right there just because of what we've seen they're able to do, and I think I will. Uh, 49ers are going to be able to get to the quarterback a lot better than the Seahawks did. Aaron Rodgers is not going to have a whole lot of time. Devontae Adams is going to get smothered up by Richard Sherman. The Seahawks really lacked a cornerback that could shut him down, and he ran free against him um, for 160 yards. The over-under is 45. I like the under in this one. I don't I don't know if the 49ers are really going to blow us away with points, um, but they will do a really good job of stopping the Packers. I'm going to go somewhere along the lines of like 24 to Hmm. 24 to 13. That was that's the score I predicted for the 49ers Vikings game. But yeah, 24-13 feels pretty good. Um and that still gives us some leeway with the under too as well. Um yeah, I just I I don't I'm not sold on the Packers still. Uh and the 49ers are really good defense, but maybe hmm, but maybe Garoppolo gets in a groove a little bit. No, I'm sticking with the under. Um and because I'm going with the under in the Packers 49ers game, I'm going to go with the over in the Chiefs game. Uh, so I'm going to give you two two predictions. Two predictions for this one. Um, if Chris Jones plays for the Chiefs, they're probably going to win like 31 to... No, like 38 to 24. It's probably going to be like 38-24. And if Chris Jones doesn't play, it'd be 38-24 Chiefs. But if Chris Jones doesn't play... It's probably going to be like 35-31 Titans. So Chris Jones playing. That's a big. That's a big swing. But I feel, I feel pretty comfortable saying that, knowing how much of a difference he can make um, for them on the field. So 38 to 24 with Chris Jones in a win, 35 to 31, and a loss without it. So that's all for these previews. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, for me, it's four hours. For you, it'll be 30 seconds. And we're going to come back with Joey 
and recap the national championship game and then talk a little Patriots and Red Sox sports. Okay, we are back from break and now joined with Joey Terry, my brother. Uh, he's wearing a Titletown USA shirt, which is uh, almost perfect for what we're about to discuss here. How you doing, Joey? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be on this this amazing podcast. I, I think the words you were looking for is, I've been better, considering the news that has just been heaped upon Uh-oh. the city of Boston over these last two weeks. Not only losing to what could be the eventual Super Bowl champion, I feel like that's an Tennessee honor. Titans, but also them being responsible for ending the dynasty. And then news broke out today that the Astros coach and general manager would be suspended for a year. Then like two seconds later, they got fired by the, by the team. And everyone in the sporting world believes that the bench coach for the Houston Astros during that time, now manager of the Boston Red Sox, is going to be handed down a worse suspension. It's not a good look for Boston sports. Nope. No, it, no, it is not. Um there's a there's a lot of speculation going on this this offseason with the Patriots, um, with their with their loss to the Titans, where which they basically just didn't even have an offense for the whole season, so it was kind of a it was kind of a tough one uh, for the whole season for them. Tom Brady played well, but you can only do so much with what you have, uh, and then uh, his free agency is causing a lot of speculation for the whole NFL because if he doesn't stay in New England, where does he go? And then I can think of a few teams. And then if he if he stays in New England, like is it is it going to be a prosperous relationship or is it is this the ending basically? And then for the Red Sox, it's it's it could be a dicey situation. Um, Alex Cora being uh, basically named as the perpetrator of the whole uh, trash can banging scheme is not is not a good look. Um, if uh, AJ Hinch and the general manager for the Astros, uh, Jeff Lunho, Lunho, I don't know how to say his last name. If they got suspended for a year and they were said to not even have anything to do with it, what's what's going to happen to Alex Cora? It's it's not a good look. We'll just we'll just have to see. But there there there's some uh, tense tense situations going on in Boston these days. Yeah, the yeah, you can only imagine what's going to happen. I think the one thing that's very surprising is the fact that Alex Cora has not been fired like why not just get out ahead of it uh, and and be fired but yeah I mean if you think about it uh, there's rumors that Mookie Betts is getting traded oh yeah that um, doesn't help the either. dynasty's potentially done with the Patriots I mean it it really could have only happened one way like it, it could have only blown up like this like there's no such thing as dynasties that go for this long and sports cities that get to have the luxury of winning for this long, uh, it had to go at some point. But if if Tom Brady, okay, so if Tom Brady goes somewhere else, where where do you see him fitting in the most? Uh, and if he stays, wh- like what in what role does he stay? Like does Belichick have to move on? Is Stidham the guy, or what? What do you what do you think with this whole Tom Brady thing? Um, with the the team that I think could be the best fit that isn't the Patriots. I've just been seeing how it looks like the Chargers, the this the Los Angeles Chargers mm-hmm. look like look like the team. It just makes sense for both sides. 
because the Chargers they've tried it with Philip Rivers. Not saying he's a bad quarterback at all. If he if they did a swap and the Patriots got Philip Rivers and the Chargers got Tom Brady, I think that could work out for both teams. Work but, out in what way for the Patriots though? Do you like do you like instead of winning close games, losing close games? Like what? I don't know. I feel like it'd just be it'd just be interesting to see if if Bill Bel if Bill Belichick's the better guy. So then it would prove that Bill Belichick's the better better coach and that he was more instrumental to the dynasty than Tom Brady, which is why I could see Tom Brady leaving to prove that he was more uh, instrumental to the dynasty and winning six Super Bowls. So we've got a classic boys' locker room flex flexing match between is, is between these two guys. Is what, it, I'm he- what I'm hearing. It could be. It could be because the narrative has always been with Tom Brady. Oh, he's a great system quarterback, and that. Um, he can do great in Bill Belichick's system, but he couldn't do great in other systems. And so he, he is—he's a prideful guy, as you would be as an NFL quarterback. And so he wants to go and prove himself. And so what better than to go to a team that's just one quarterback away, a one solid quarterback away, like the Chargers, where they have a lot of pieces, and then say he goes and wins, wins the division, wins a couple of playoff games next year. I think he could prove—he could prove that he's—he's he's more instrumental with the dynasty. But the benefit from what we've seen to Tom Brady over the first 14 years of his career or so was how he would basically take scrub off the talent, off the street talent, and turn them into like potential superstars. Like Julian Edelman is is a Hall of Fame, like being talked about as a Hall of Fame candidate solely because of what Tom Brady really made him out to be. But this year. He had the pieces were there for that same similar like ragtag group run, and they couldn't do it. They couldn't put it together. Is there any idea in your mind that maybe Tom Brady is just washed up? Like this, like he, this, he he's just not good anymore. He hit a cliff like we saw Peyton Manning do. Uh, no, I don't actually think so. I think there was just there was a lot of uh, combining circumstances that come that brought together this like kind of subpar offensive team for one the starting center who's as we all know center is very important mm-hmm. uh, offensive lineman he was out um i think it was in preseason or like late training camp he went out for he was out for the season with uh blood clots i'm pretty sure and so he was gone and he was still in as like a kind of coach advisory role but obviously that's not the same as having him play and then the second round guy isaiah win the left tackle he was he was supposed to be the like next next big blindside block, blocker for Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. He was out for I want to say it was the first like eight or nine games because of a, uh, an ankle injury, and so we were playing a, a left tackle that we got off the streets for the first eight games, and then the right tackle I'm pretty sure it was Marcus Cannon. I'm pretty sure he was playing he was playing injured for at least the majority of the season. So uh, for most of the teams that. Brady has had with the ragtag like weapons he's had a good offensive line but this year he didn't have a good offensive line and so combine that with I think it was two or three undrafted rookies mm-hmm. as wide receivers well one was a first round pick but anyways oh no 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 I'm pretty sure Nikhil Harry is the first round pick yeah, but yeah. I'm pretty sure there are two or three other oh, like yeah, undrafted yeah. rookies I, yeah, they yeah, were yeah. playing at some point it was just it was just too many circumstances that they just couldn't overcome I mean, anytime you're put in the same conversation as this year, Mitch Trubisky. Oh yeah, no, it's that's, not good. That's, that, that's not a good look but at all. I'm even not worse, argue with that. Even worse than that, being put below 
this year's Mitch Trubisky and a lot of pretty useful useful stats it isn't a good look. Um, which out of out of the the big four uh, teams in Boston, who is the most likely to never see a championship again? Oh man, that's a that's a tough one. Um, well, definitely you definitely can't say the Celtics because they're up and coming. Mm-hmm. They've got stars going 100%. everywhere. Um, and then they've got the great coach and Brad Stevens. So I would say they're definitely in the conversation for championships. Uh, the Bruins. I mean, I'm not a big hockey expert. Me neither. Neither. neither of us are, but I I feel like they're always there. They're yeah. one of the original. Uh, what is it? Six teams or something like that. Mm-hmm. So they have to be there. <sighs> I I don't want to say it, but I think I think it might be the Red Sox. Okay. I think they they you know they had what was it 86 years? Yeah. Where they didn't have a championship. Mm-hmm. They broke that curse. They've won. I want to say it's four in these last 15 years because they had 20, 2004, 2007, 2013, and 2018. Okay, so yeah, they had four. But now, if Alex Cora gets fired or something like that and Mookie Betts gets traded, I don't see them ever making it again in the next five to ten years. I, I can also – and then I can't say the Patriots because if they have Belichick, they have a chance. But what, but what if they don't? you got to think about it. Like He's probably five years from retirement. That's the thing. They could win in the next five years. There's, That's what there, I'm saying. But there's also a chance that if Brady leaves, he retires, right? Wouldn't you? Couldn't no, you say? no, no, no. I think. Give him. Give I him think he years. wants to, because you know, I feel, I feel like Belichick's a prideful guy as well. Mm-hmm. It's like Brady wants to prove that he's better without Belichick, but I feel like Belichick wants to prove that he's this mastermind. Oh, so he's got and a, that he can put the pieces together without this star quarterback and Tom Brady. So he's got to, he's got to wait a couple of years. I mean, if you think about it, um. What was it? Two two years ago, they traded Garoppolo. Mm-hmm. He was ready to move on. Yeah, he was ready to move on to Garoppolo as the guy. Yeah, that's but it true. was Robert Kraft that overruled him. Yeah, and you and didn't even get Brissett either. No, didn't no, we had Brissette. we had to let Brissett go as well because we couldn't we couldn't keep three quarterbacks. But lucky for you, you got your number two receiver this year out of that trade. So well, we're about to cut him. Who so. really who really won that one? So well, that's the thing. I feel like the Colts did because we're about to cut oh, yeah. uh, Dorsett probably. Because we had we had the worst weapons we've ever had, and he still didn't even play. Yeah, that just shows shows that we're, he's not he's not making the the team next year. Hate to say it, because I mean he was a, he made some plays. Yeah, but as much as much as he possibly could. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, it seemed like it seemed like the the Patriots were getting a little desperate against the against the Titans <laughs> oh. in the wild card weekend. Like they 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 had like three or four trick plays. Yeah, oh, yeah. And normally they when they run trick plays it's out of like, oh, we're going to catch you off guard. Yeah. But it seemed like we're they were running our dominance. They were running trick plays to like out of necessity. Yeah, to like because they needed to move the offense somehow. No, they did they did it on the first the first drive. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I was like when they were running the trick plays, I was like, "Oh, no." Like yeah. we you've already shown your hand. Yeah, exactly. Like you saved those for the third and fourth quarter when you need that play. But when you show your hand in the first quarter, it's like, "Okay, well, great. Now how are we going to get yards?" I I knew once, um, once I think it was like middle of the fourth quarter. It was a, it was like we made it to the mid, the midfield, and we didn't make it. I was like, yeah, we're not winning this game. Yeah, because because that last drive, when we punted, we I think we punted the ball to the Titans, and then they drove down, and then they punted and pinned us down at the one. Like I mean, I had a, you know, you have to have faith as a fan. 
you have you you have to mm-hmm. otherwise w- what are you you're just you're just a disbeliever if you don't believe that they could yeah 100 percent. but deep down deep down i knew i was like tom brady's not taking this team 99 yards or s- even 60 yards yeah to, to get into I mean, field good, goal range it was a good punt it was a, it was great punt oh I have so to give it to him one, one thing we saw from i mean we saw it from pete carroll <clears throat> yesterday and punting the ball instead of leaving the leaving it in the hands of his offense and Russell Wilson. Uh why why do you think Belichick decided to to punt on that fourth and four after that Edelman drop? Um and with what three and a half minutes left, like not a lot yeah. of time. We've seen this whole season has basically been a has been like a war on punting. You know, like teams are realizing, wait a minute, I can go for it. I like I can actually leave my offense on the field and it not be in the fourth quarter with us down. Mm-hmm. I mean, why do you why do you think Belichick decided to go that route? I feel like I feel like he just looked looked at his offense, looked at the offense that he had, and then he looked at what he was had on defense, and he was like, "Listen, my strength has been in my defense this this." But this even game. though you're getting cooked up by Derrick Henry, yeah, I feel like he just. I don't know. I I feel like he's he was a big fan of the field position game because he figured if he could pin them deep, and then they didn't make the three or they didn't they had a three and out, and then it would be a short field for Brady to then work. I yeah. think that that's the only thing I can think. I don't know. I I feel like I mean it just kind of proves that Belichick's really not an analytics guy, and that he's basically just like in those situations, the the best terminology for that is like you're you're playing not to lose. And that's really what he was doing there. And in the end, normally, I mean, being safe is normally the, the smartest play there, but it, it eventually ended up costing him. Um, but there's, okay, so we're watching the national championship game right now. There's five and a half minutes left, and Clemson is just about to get the ball back down 17. Um, we're talking with, with Joey. We just transitioned from Boston sports to a national championship game. This game got game caught me by surprise um i figured lsu is like the favorite like everyone you know you love coach o go tigers um and and that sort of thing wow that's that's a pretty good coach o impression that, i gotta say that was, a, that was pretty i I'm thought a, i thought i was in the room with coach I, o right now run, run that one back and listen to it again when we, when we post it but i mean they're just a fun team to watch and i love joe burrow 100 percent. like he's one of probably i mean people are comping him to like Andrew Luck, so you know when his name's thrown around, like that gets me excited. Oh, absolutely. Um, so, but just his presence in the pocket, like Clemson came out the gate, how I expected them to play, like ready to go. In the first eight minutes of the game, two questionable, uh, two questionable punts. They were like on the forty-yard line both times by Dabo Swinney, but they pinned him inside the five each time. Uh, and but you know, I would have liked them to see. I would have liked to see them get more points. Joe Burrow was not off to a hot start, but then all of a sudden uh, the offense just absolutely came alive. He broke the record, the NCAA record for passes. I got to hang on. I got to pull this up. I forget who it is. Um, oh, where is it? The guy, Colt Brennan, held the record previously for most passing touchdowns in a season at 58. Um, and Joe Burrow just came in and absolutely crushed it with with 60 uh and he had 12 in the last 12 touchdowns in these last two games against what is supposed to be 
some of the best like college football talent in the entire country. Some of the best. Well, I shouldn't say some of the best offenses because he did play Oklahoma or defenses because he did play Oklahoma. Um, shout out Big Twelve. But I mean, kid, what what would the Bengals have to give up to get like what would te- what would they even think about considering to get a like to trade out of that number one spot with Joe Burrow? Can you even like f- is it? Can you even fathom anything possible? Andy Dalton is the guy. <laughs> Red rifle at it again. No, but like, but no, I mean the trade package. Like, what, oh, what, what would they need to get? Yeah, yeah. What, what oh. would teams like? Oh, sorry. Like, let's say I'm a GM. I call up the Bengals on draft night. What can I say? Like, what can I possibly give up? I will give you all our draft picks for the next two two drafts. But even then, like, I I think the only way you can get it is you give them a legit like difference maker. Yeah. Like okay. I I could see like. I, tell me if this is crazy, but here's a hypothetical. The Bengals get um, like Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey for that number one pick. I mean, obviously, like I'm not saying the Rams would do it, obviously, because they have Jared Goff and they invested $33 million in him. But like you need two top five guys at non-position, like, at non-quarterback positions yeah. to even have a shot at a guy like Joe, like have a shot at the number one pick at this point. Mm-hmm. But that's the thing, though. I feel like the Bengals, they just need to take the quarterback, so I don't even think they would yeah, entertain it's, it's any offers. Not even like yeah. You can't even physically think of anything. I, I mean, we've said it before on the podcast. If the first pick is Joe Burrow, the next pick has to be multiple offensive linemen because we've seen teams do it. The Colts did it with Andrew Luck, oh. neglecting oh, the offensive yeah, line. The same team, yeah. Robert Griffin third. Yep neglecting offensive line mm-hmm. the cardinals did it with kyler murray yep. they went from they're th- going to invest in they this went from year. Th- yeah exactly but you just don't want like you don't want it to be too late same with deshaun watson exactly they, they need yeah. to, they need to keep investing because mm-hmm. they 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 saw but now get- but how are they going to like they they their first <laughs> they tried to last year <laughs> That's right. their number yeah. their their first round pick was titus howard um they ended up getting leapfrogged for um my guy and andre dillard Washington uh, State tackle, uh, um, and he then doesn't, they had, he doesn't even because he's on the Eagles, right? Yeah, he, he doesn't, doesn't even start, start now, but Dang. he will because it's yeah, Jason course. Peters, of course. So oh, he, he, so they're, they're looking just, for the he's future. Gonna, yeah, he's going to take over. Yep. But goodbye, goodbye them. So it'll be, yeah, it won't be long before he transitions into um, that. But yeah, they were stuck with Titus Howard. At, I think he was he was either FCS or Division Two. I don't remember, but it was mm-hmm. like I remember the general consensus of everybody was like they really just like screwed the pooch on this one yeah like they it totally they could have got somebody better yeah they and yeah the fact that it was such a big need and then they ended up this year giving up so many picks to get um, laramie tunzel laramie tunzel so now they don't have a pick in the first or second round this year ah that Um, really that really messes with you but yeah back to this national championship game oh Oh, he fumbled it oh Oh, that's game that yeah that might be it oh no um this game took forever yeah because it started at 5. Yeah, I got stuff to do. It, it started <laughs> at 5, and it's now 9.08 right now. Oh, my goodness. And we're just ending this game. Like There's it was, still four minutes left. But, yeah, and, I mean, I'm assuming now they'll just run out the clock or whatever. But, um, yeah, this, Ellis, is, this is Trevor Lawrence's first loss as a college player. Yeah, that's this absolutely crazy. insane. Like, you, you, could, you could look at it from two ways. Great play by Grant Delpit, by the way. Del- yep. Yeah. He's top 15, the best safety overall in this draft. Put his shoulder on the ball. Yeah. He, 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 had a, right he also had a sack earlier in this game. He's been all over, um, but good for him. Yeah, Trevor Lawrence. I mean, what a run by Clemson, first yeah. off. These last two years, 
That's crazy. Saying everybody, everybody's doubting them, and you know it's kind of it's a little annoying, but it's it's true. I mean they they really got, uh, they really got overlooked by a lot of teams. The fact that they've been able to go twenty nine and one mm-hmm. in two years, playing two national championship games, they played. They've been in three out of the last four. Yep. Um, but they've only won one. Yeah. But just being there is incredible in and of itself. Wait, no, no, no. They won two. Or they went to? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because they beat, they beat, with Deshaun Watson, they beat Alabama. And then with... That's right, yes. Then they, they won, yeah. Then they lost in the middle, I think, and then they came back with so Trevor Oh, Lawrence. so they played, so they played four. Or, no, no, no. This is their third. But maybe, they, they, maybe they played... This might be their fourth. They played Alabama, um, it, not in the national yeah, championship. I'm, I'm going to look. Because they played one time with Deshaun Watson and lost, but I don't know if it was in the national championship. But, yeah, g- great for LSU... Um, and that whole program, like mm-hmm. Coach O did a really good job. I mean, obviously, he's going to get out there and motivate his players. Oh, of course. But getting them ready for a game this magnitude in, like, a time where they really hadn't been. Like, they'd always been Alabama's little brother. Yep. So. Yeah, they showed they showed them this year. Yeah, and this game, like, even though it's a 17-point win for LSU, like, this game really delivered on the hype. Like, mm-hmm. we were talking about this a lot. Um, and then they And they really came through for us. Yeah, 100%. A lot better than uh, LSU's game against Oklahoma, that's for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 100%. uh, 100%. But here's the interesting thing. Um, Let's – I mean, we'll talk a little bit more, like spend a couple more minutes as the time winds down. LSU played Alabama the closest. Yeah. I mean, if they don't lose to Auburn, if Tua doesn't go down, we potentially get to see an LSU-Alabama rematch. Like, the fact that these – the LSU is just steamrolling all these teams – makes you really question wait a minute is he like are, are they like are they still a top four team you know even with two losses if two is healthy oh, even without yeah. two like two yeah. like they didn't have him in the they didn't have him in the game they played lsu and they lost by five something like that no no, they had two of them two of them no that no, game. no no are you sure yeah he 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 got hurt right before the iron bowl Oh yes, it he was did. like the okay. game. It was like yeah, the, that's right. they were playing an FCS they, yes, team or whatever. They didn't. They didn't play, or he lost in the game. He went down to Auburn, or he lost to Auburn. He didn't play. Or he, Auburn. he played. Yeah, he the was backup out of the played. game before in Auburn. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was like some. It was like the end of the game. Like they were just. It was one last drive, and it was just a freak, freak play on a rollout that got him. Yeah. Otherwise, he would have played in the Iron Bowl, and then they probably would have made top four, and then been playing, or they would have played. LSU the first game if LSU's number one. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that would have been crazy. Yeah, that would have been a fun rematch for <clears> sure. <throat> um, but yeah, no, I think, I mean, two minutes left. Clemson's getting the ball back, but I think we can put a. If we want to get this podcast out before all the other podcasts are out, we need to do it before the game's over. That that would be. So that we're be basically crazy. the we're basically the first word in everybody's ear. Yeah. Like immediately. Yeah. Because you know that's what they're gonna do. They're gonna oh, like yeah. right when this game's over, they're like. Oh, gotta I bet, hop on I a podcast. Not, I bet Not Gonna Lie podcast is posting about oh, this. Oh yeah, uh, all but, over the world. Everybody hears about Not Gonna Lie podcast. That's right. Well, we do have a three percent. Three percent of our listeners are in uh, England. Whoa, we got three percent in England. An one, international podcast. One percent in Poland. One percent in Australia. Uh, Keith Hornsby. So good we, man. yeah, that's right. They, I call it the Poland push. <laughs> the Poland push. <laughs> so yeah, that's gonna do it for this week. We got a lot more content coming out. Some really fun interviews with potential draft prospects, maybe even some NFL players. And we're going to start collabing with more podcasts. You're going to hear a lot more voices on here. We're going to keep this content going even as we transition out of the football season. 
and we're just talking about basketball. We're still going to have a lot of fun um, and as we get ready for the NFL draft. So thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week.